something uh, very different uh, at the start. In fact, it shouldn't be different. This should be just kind of the normal thing in some respects, what, it, what Christians always do. Uh, and we're going to do an assignment. I was a teacher. And so these, this would be called, Matt would call this an entry task. Yes, maybe. If he does that, he's supposed to do that in his teaching. Um, so we're going to do an entry task. But, but uh, what I want to encourage you to do, the entry task involves a partner. In fact, you could even call this, I was a science teacher, you'd call this a lab activity. Uh, we're going to discover something in this lab activity. Yes. You like that idea? No, there are no chemicals this time. I have done that in church messages before. Anyway, um, so here's what I want you to do in a moment. I want you to find, like a very short moment, I want you to find a partner. Now, could that be the person next to you? If you're, if you're new here, my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law are here uh, because my sister-in-law's out of town, Brenda and Carol, and so they could stay together because, you know, it's kind of more comfortable. Um, but at the same time, this might be really good for you to find somebody that you don't usually talk to, you don't usually sit with, uh, just to get to know. So I'm going to leave that up to you. But you have to, I want you to get in groups of two, three at most, but I really prefer you to be with one partner. So I'm going to give you a moment to physically get up, and if you have a Bible, if you have a notebook or whatever, take that with you. Take your stuff with you. Get up, and you're going to stay the, during most of the time with them. So get up and find somebody to exchange with. Okay, so go ahead. So you're going to do this assignment with somebody. If you're brand new, feel free to sit with who you came with. That's okay. This includes kids. Kids, if you can read, you can do this also. So, so move and find somebody. Okay, we're going to do a little introduction before you get to the assignment, which I know you're so excited to do. Um, we're going to do something. We're, we're going to pass these out. We're going to do this assignment and so forth. Uh, and, and this is all within this series that we've been talking about called Practicing the Ways of Jesus. And I believe it's been very, very good. Um, so far, we looked at the practice of silence and solitude. We looked at the practice of abiding, Sabbath. That was a good one. And last week, Cam Oliver talked about sharing the good news. We're trying to learn about practicing what Jesus practiced. Another very significant practice of Jesus that we often don't think of is his dependence on the word of God. He didn't start his ministry, his public ministry, until he was 30. What was he doing? It's a good, fair question. What was he doing? I believe one of the things he was doing was studying the word of God. I don't believe, because he was fully man, I don't believe he had it downloaded when he was a baby. But, despite the fact that he was often accused by the teachers of the law of dishonoring the scriptures, he actually followed them better than anyone ever had. He continually quoted the scriptures, used scriptures to interpret other scriptures, and exposed the religious leaders for not following them. In the four Gospels, Jesus quotes the, New Test the Old Testament law and prophets and refers to the Old Testament examples over 300 times. And the writers of the other New Testament books made over 200 direct references to the Old Testament. Now we have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. So learning the, the Word of God was clearly an important part of the practice of Jesus and his followers. So I've titled this message, Living by the Word. 
a way of Jesus. And I've decided there's no better way to start practicing living by the word than practicing living by the word. So that's what we're going to do um, right now. Before we do that, though, um, there's a Bible study method that's being used, and some of you may know this, some of you may not. It's being used around the world. There's a movement. It's not, it's not a denomination. It's not a, it's not a certain leader. It's a whole movement of missionaries who've gotten together to try to figure out what works in the mission field. And what they've come up with is a set of principles that several missionary families that I know in different parts of the world are using and is having radical impact all over the world. And I first found, discovered about this through friends who were using it, but they gave me this book to read, Miraculous Movements. Highly recommend this book. And it sounds like, wow, there's going to be miracles in there. Yes, there is. But the impactful thing in my mind was the practices that they taught, that these missionaries did. And one of the practices was a thing called discovery Bible study. It's like, okay, Bible study. I know about Bible study. But the way they did it was very interesting. And what they do in these, in these mission fields is they, they uh, teach the Bible not by teaching, here's the theological principles, here's systematic theology. They teach them how to read, if they can read, to read or listen to the Bible, and then to pull the meaning out from it, and then to do it. Read, meditate on it in a sense, understand it, and then do it. That's a, that last piece is something that usually is not taught. And then they hold them accountable. What do you do? The next time we get together, what do you do? Interestingly enough, when somebody has a misunderstanding of Scripture, rather than teaching, no, that was a misunderstanding of Scripture, they, they show them another Scripture. They, they, what they do is they teach the people to use the Word to build their worldview, and in doing so, they can prepare them, and after a year, often the, the missionaries leave, and the church explodes. How do they keep from getting in there? The Word of God. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to practice this. So here's the basic idea. In fact, at this point, I think we'll pass out the papers. Here's what we want you to do. Here's the original intent. We want you to have the same scripture as the person you're going to share with, the person who's your partner, okay? So go ahead, people who are passing them out. All you do is just give the scripture paper because we have different scriptures. Give them this to the person next to you. Okay, this, this group of three ladies, they have the same scripture. All right. So that's what we want. That's the target. Each to have your own paper, yes. One more thing. Each person gets their own paper that's the same paper. <laughs> I could have made this more simple, I suppose, and have the same scripture, but... True, true. Matt's got a good point. He says the principle's not coming in to observe. And so it's going to work out. Yes. Okay. Wait till everybody has, and I encourage you to have, if you, to find a seat if you can, because now we're going to practice this. Here's the basic idea. Um, you're going to look at the scripture. Take some time. You may want to read it two or three times. And in a moment, just listen to this first. Some of you are so anxious to read the scripture. Just hold on. So you're going to, you're going to read the scripture. You're going to ponder it. We've got three questions up here that we want you to address. You're not going to have the time to address all of them. Pick one. 
particularly the last one perhaps, but whatever strikes you. Seriously, whatever strikes you. But of these three, these are, I, I know of a church in town that's exploding, and this is what they do in every single small group every single week. Same three questions. These questions right here, because they're using the same principles that the mission field missionaries use. What does this passage tell us about God? That's one option. Second question, what does it tell us about mankind? What does it tell us about me? And last thing, how do I need to apply or obey this? And what I want you to do, and Diana and I have started doing this years ago, and we, we just, we love this, and it's so powerful at influencing and affecting us. And sometimes, we're going to give you like five to seven minutes. Sometimes we will spend a half an hour just writing. And sometimes we'll be really tired and won't feel like writing. We won't write. We'll just talk. But it really helps to spend the time to write. We've done small groups with this. And it's been really powerful to spend 10 minutes in silence in small group and everybody's writing. Amazing. So we're going to give you time. I'm going to give you seven minutes. And if at the end of like three minutes you're like, I, I got everything, then look again. And I want you to write out something you see in the scripture. Go. Okay, I'm going to cut this off. Evan is preaching here, and he may not stop, you know, before noon. So, uh, hey, how many of you found something that you maybe have seen the scripture before you got, but you found something you hadn't really noticed before or found something just really kind of insightful for you? Isn't that amazing? How many of you heard something and you wrote it out? Sometimes, Diana and I do this all the time. I'll write something like, God will, I feel like God will show me something that's like, Oh, my goodness, and I'm naturally a teacher and kind of a, 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 an idea guy, and so I'll like, oh, my goodness, and I'll just milk this thing, and I've just got it all, and I'll share it, you know, and, and she'll say, that's really good. Wow. And I said, what did you get? Kind of like, you know, did you get anything? <laughs> and then she'll share something. I was like, whoa, it's so much better, uh, especially from a different angle, from her angle. But God will show her new things. And you do this. So I have my couples that, I, that are in my um, office for, for marriage counseling. I encourage them to do this. And I've had so many of them come back and say, when we started doing that together, that was amazing. Because we're meditating on the same thing. We're coming together. And, we're, and I think I've grown in respect, my respect for my wife. I already had respect for her. That was one of the first things that hit me when I got to know her. But my respect has grown. Her respect for me has grown. And then our knowledge and our understanding and our shared understanding has grown. Powerful for relationships, but powerful for us individually. And it's amazing how much, how much there is, how many layers there are in Scripture. Okay, I could, I, I could just get away from my notes and I could preach this. I could preach this for an hour just off of experience. And so I have to discipline myself to not um, do that. Here's a question. Every, every Christian has perhaps been taught the Bible should be an important part of their faith walk. But I want to be, ask a, a big question, maybe, a, maybe an obvious question. Why? Why is the Bible supposed to be so important? And I'm going to suggest there's probably many ideas. But I want you to think about this, and I'm going to ask for some of you to shout, shout out some ideas. Why? Why the Bible? Why is Scripture? Doesn't change. Unchangeable. Good. What else? Yes. We're constantly battling lies. We need truth. What else? It's God breathed. Ooh, that's a good one. Yes. What? Good. We interact with the Lord. 
We hear from God. Now, uh, you know, sometimes you hear somebody say, I think God spoke to me, you know, when, when uh, the eagle, you know, went across the sky, I could hear God. You know, well, maybe, but, you know, when, when the scripture comes to you, okay, I'm with you there. Okay? God can speak to us other ways too, but this I can stand on. What else? Yes. Yes. I did this exercise years ago, with, and I've told this story maybe to this group, but with some seventh graders. And one after this one seventh this meeting this, at our house, we played games for, for half an hour, and we did a little scripture meditation and writing, and, and like this, exactly like this, seventh grade boys. And this one really hyperactive, kind of naughty little seventh grade boy, his mom afterwards, like later, a week later, said, what did you do to my kid? I said, what do you mean? He said, she said, he's been doing chores around the house. I said, Mom, what can I do to help? I know I need to help more. That's a miracle. And it was from the scripture that he had read. God, okay. Whew. So, so why? Why do we need scripture? Here's what, here's what it is. And I'm not going to give the exhaustive list. Here's a scripture. It's up here, I believe. Should be up there. 2 Timothy 3.16. There's nothing like the, and this is the message version, but I like this. There's nothing like the word of God for showing you the way. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another for showing us the truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live in God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. So purpose number one, I'm pulling out of that scripture, is this. The word shows us the truth. Amen? Like Brenda said, it shows us the truth. Have you ever wondered why Jesus quoted so much scripture? In a sense, he didn't need to quote scripture, did he? He was the truth. He said he was the way, the truth, and life. I know that because it's a scripture. He was the incarnate word. Why did he share a scripture? Well, I believe partly it was a model for us, but partly because that's what he had meditated on, Scripture, and as a proof for what he was going to be doing and what he was going to be saying. Every word in a sense he spoke, according to my Bible, was in red letters. You have a Bible like that? No, your phones don't have the red letters probably. Okay. There's even a movement of theologically liberal Christians called red-letter Christians. Have you ever heard of that? And they're, they're um, liberal theologically liberal Christians, and they want to live by the teachings of Jesus, the red letters. And their idea is to emphasize the things that Jesus said, but also to kind of distance themselves from the things that they don't like in the Bible. And I agree in part. We, sh as a follower of Jesus, we should emphasize the things that Jesus said. How many agree? Yes, for sure. But you know what? It hit me this week. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus and what he said, then we have to be faithful to the recorded words of Jesus. We have to teach the black letters too. Because he did. Jesus built his whole life in teaching on the black letters of the word of God. As followers of Jesus, we should be people of the book, the whole book. As I heard one popular Bible teacher say a few years ago, and I heard her, she said, I, I believe in the whole counsel of a God. From Genesis to maps. 
That's what we need to follow. For disciples of Jesus, the Bible doesn't have some truth. It is the truth. The Word of God provides an entire worldview. The Word of God gives us the answers for all the classic questions of worldview philosophy. I was going to go through those, but I didn't want to take that time. But all the classic questions of worldview, the Bible answers those questions. As such, the Word of God should be our declaration of independence, our constitution, or in more modern terms, our operating system. This is our operating system. Not iOS. Nick, sorry. It may not answer every question of the universe, but it provides a framework to think through every question of the universe. That's a worldview. By the way, the biblical worldview did provide the philosophical framework for the Declaration of Independence, for the Constitution, the scientific revolution, the elimination of slavery, the ideas of equality, the care for the sick and the poor. All of these came from the biblical worldview. So much of our culture was founded out of this worldview. There was a time in the not-so-distant past, American past, when the biblical view was generally accepted especially on the heels of three great awakenings. Now, however, the biblical ideas of freedom of choice, compassion, and equality are highly valued, right? But without any boundaries. Truth now is thought to be personal and relative. You do you, I do me. Let me for that. That's the mantra. The mantra. But the logical point, the logical endpoint of unlimited liberty is anarchy. That's where we're headed. But for the people of the word, we must stay committed to the whole counsel of God. Christians can get off too. We need to be committed to the whole counsel of God, justice and mercy, grace and truth, freedom and responsibility, love and limits. The scripture is full of paradoxes, full of balance points. And theological error rarely comes from the conscious choice to ignore biblical principle. Usually it comes from an individual church or movement that so highly values some biblical principle that loses sight of the balancing point. Jesus didn't rebuke the Pharisees because they practiced the law, believe it or not, because they practiced some parts of the law. He rebuked them for neglecting other parts. Our safety is in the whole counsel of God, as rightly understood. Now, when I was younger, a younger Christian, there was a phrase that was very popular. I don't think it's popular anymore, but especially for conservative kind of like Bible people, Bible Belt people, is they'd say, I'm standing on the Word of God. It was heard of that. Basically, I found a verse or two, and I'm standing on it. Praise the Lord. Right? And it hit me years ago. That's part of it's good. Like, I'm really going to commit to it. But part of it's not healthy. Because really, that's putting me kind of over authority of the word. I'm going to claim this verse, and I'm going to claim it, and hang on to it, hang on to it, no matter what you tell me. Really, our view should be something a little different. Rather than standing on the word of God, we need to kneel underneath it. We need to let the word inform us. 
that needs to be. <laughs> there we go. See that, that young man right there? He's underneath the authority of the Word of God. So, by application number one, I will continue to let the Word of God shape my worldview. How many get that? I don't just have my worldview, my worldview is being shaped continually and reshaped. Some of you know, and I mentioned it a little bit ago, and I'm not going to be very vague on this, but we had to leave a church. Had to leave the church. Um, I think it was like six or seven years ago. And Richard and Hannah were in the same church. And this church um, had, had moved into error. They were a, a dynamic, powerful church. One of the fastest growing churches in Spokane. Young people were flocking to it. And over time, it changed and moved, and it shifted. And it wasn't very clear. They weren't teaching outright heresy, but there was something that was wrong, and it began to show more and more and more. There were cracks in the theology. And the basic problem was they got away from the authority of Scripture. And one of the favorite phrases that Hannah may remember in that church was, you may have heard other people teach this, but I, we've got a little different angle. And they would read it. They'd go through, teach through a book of the Bible, but there's a lot of parts, sections they would skip over because they didn't seem convenient or because they didn't fit the main themes. And there are some themes that they champion, and there's other themes that, ah, I don't know, uh, we're just not going to talk about that. I'm not sure what to do with that. Literally, a, a major theological and cultural issue. The pastor kept telling one of the elders, who was a friend of mine, kept saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to believe. I'm thinking you're the pastor. It's your whole job. And by the way, scripture on that issue was very clear. Very clear. So what happens, it got away from the authority. And we challenge, I challenged the leadership. I wrote this 18-page thesis about the, the errors. And it was all about the authority of scripture and how they were getting away. When I shared that with the elders, the response was interesting. There was not one challenge to what I was talking about, about the scriptures. It was all about the effects. It was, it was, uh, it was management, basically, of what it was going to do to the church if it got out. Because that was more of a concern than the... Than... Now, in our church, we had a challenge. Somebody challenged a pastor fairly recently about something and ended up leaving. A leader left the church. But rather than Matt, like, hiding away from it, he let that person share. And they shared his point of view. See the difference? It was like, hey, let's, let's let the word of God decide. That's what we need to do. Purpose of the word, number two. It reveals both the layers of our rebellion and the depths of God's love. One of your scriptures you got was, well, I'll, I'll say before we get that scripture. We need a daily download of God's word, not only because it provides our operating system, but it is also our antivirus software that can identify the many infections, as Brenda mentioned, that are constantly bombarding us. How many get that? Constantly. We have some expert satanic hackers, demonic hackers, hacking into our operating system, even if we are Christians. We can easily get persuaded by the lies of the world and we have to continually come down, come before the, the Lord. For the word of God is living and active. 
sharper than any two-edged sword. How many know this verse? Even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. Powerful. The Word of God is more than just words on a page. It's literally spiritually inspired and spiritually empowered to expose the weakness of my heart. You see, if I'm under the authority of Scripture, I should be constantly coming before it and say, Lord, show me my heart. Show me if there's any wicked way. That's the Scripture in me. If I continue to come daily and look intently, it can not only show me wrong actions, but will do the work of exposing the deeper motivations my heart, but I must come with the desire to obey it. To get it from off my knees or get off out of my reading and do it. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word, not merely, merely hearers. If you are a hearer, guess what? If you go to church all the time, if you even read your Bible all the time, and you don't follow through and do it, guess what? The Bible says you're deceived. That's the a, that's a way we be, get deceived is by hearing, and then we think we know a lot. Knowledge puffs up. Puff, puffs up. So we, we need the word to expose ourselves. We need to do it, and then we won't be deceived. We must let the Spirit convict us not only of outward sins, but things like this. Coveting, jealousy, bitterness, pride, lust, and greed. The same word that shows that we shouldn't steal or something also shows us we should not covet. One of the greatest American sins probably, right? But we don't often kick people out of church because of that. Um, at the same time, God's word also brings healing. Not only conviction of sin, but conviction of God's love for us. Diana reminded me of this because she's a student of the word. I was trying to follow up the conviction of things. She said, what about the encouragement, brother? No, she didn't say that. But <laughs> And to know the love of God which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. See, if I go before the word, it should also reveal God's love, as well as the depravity of my heart. Who can know the wickedness, it says in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the darkness of my soul. It teaches both the depravity of man, but the love of God. Balance points. So application number two, I will come to the word of God daily to get, let it convict me, heal me, and then do what it says. If I'm regularly committed to the Word of God and coming under its authority, then I should come to the same conclusion regularly what Tim Keller taught. One of the most powerful quotes by, by beloved teacher, kind of like a, a pastor, uh, the nation's pastor in some degree to my mind, Tim Keller, said this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dare hoped. That's what Scripture will show. The whole counsel of God will show. How beautiful is that? Lastly, the purpose of the Word of God, number three, to train and tra or train or transform me. We're in a training program. How many of you know that? A training program to be transformed. Most impactful quote the last few years for me is from Dallas Willard, who told um, 
his friend John Ortberg over the phone, just kind of haphazardly. He said, well, you know, John, in the end, what matters is not what you achieve, but who you become. That stuck with me. Who am I becoming? So I'm going to ask you at the very end, who are you becoming? Who are you going to become? In a sense, the divine conspiracy, the great mission of the gospel is not just to take sinners and qualify them for heaven. That's part of the gospel. But the ultimate mission is also the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations. It's to take sinners and transform them into Christ followers. Little Christ, Christ-like. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the calling. Every day we need to get up and say, God, renew me. Change me. Let your word show me. Transform me. Change me. Make me like you. Romans 12, 2, my favorite verses I use in my counseling all the time. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Every client that comes in my office is looking for change, changing their marriage, changing their emotions, changing their behavior. And cognitive behavior therapy is kind of a model I use, and brain science and scripture all come together to teach the same thing. We have to do two basic things to change. One, we have to stop believing and practicing the old unhealthy lies and practices, behaviors. Two, we have to have our mind renewed and with truth and practice new healthy patterns. Many of us try to stop the old patterns. However, it rarely works unless your mind is transformed. Jesus said, it's out of the abundance of your heart that comes forth all the sin. So how is your mind transformed? This is the last thing, and if you had anything to hang on to, it's this, this idea. We're transformed. I believe there's a powerful thing in the Word of God when we meditate. Psalm 1. How many of you got Psalm 1 that you wrote about? Psalm 1. First scripture perhaps I memorized. Memorized the psalm four, over 40 years ago. How blessed is the man, and it talks about who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand on the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight... His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night, which yield its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. I believe this psalm and many other scriptures like us give a secret key to fruitfulness or kingdom prosperity. So, how do I transform my heart? How do we change from the inside out? I believe Psalm 1 gives us a key to get there. It starts by delighting in God's word. Then out of this delighting, we meditate on the word. When? Bible students, when? Up there? <laughs> yeah. Day and night. Night and day. Day and night. And there's two words that are, that are in there that really help us. One is the word, is a metaphor of a tree. And by the way, I, I wanna, want you to know this. This is the way the word works. After 40, I memorized it 40 years ago. I've, I've recited it many times. I've preached on it. 
And just this week, I saw something in that scripture I've never seen before. It says he will be the one who meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. Okay, I knew that by heart. Knew that by heart. I didn't ever think about it. It says the tree that's planted, it's a random tree that just sprung up, you know, seed just happened to be there with all the other trees. It was planted by streams of water. That sounds to me like an intention. I don't know if the original language says that or not. The truth is still there. For us, we, we can't bring forth fruit. We can't bring forth life. Only the water, of the spirit of the Lord can do that. But we do have a responsibility. What is it? It's to get ourselves planted by that stream. Planted every day. Planted every night. We make that our anthem. We make that our constitution. Day and night. And when we do that, we intentionally drink that living water day and night. Fruit comes. That's just what happens. And the second is to meditate on God's word. Now, meditating. Sounds like Buddhist, you know, meditation or something. Or mindfulness. I had a, had a client, um, a teenage client, who's very disturbed, very troubled years ago. And I, had him, I taught him some mindfulness techniques, and there's value in those to refocus our brain. And so I taught some of this, taught several of the things, staring into the center in space, you know, and, and fo keep focusing on that and all that. There's some value to that to some degree. And then another day I gave him a scripture to journal like we just did. He was a Christian kid, and, and he got done with that. He said, wow, that really helps. <laughs> the mindfulness stuff didn't do a whole lot. So what's this meditating like? What is it about? It's about, uh, many people have talked about over the years about like a cow chews its cud or chews its food. Now, I'll give you a short little biological lesson. Cellulose is what cows like to eat, like grass, straw. We eat it, and it will give us green poop. I know. I tried one time <laughs> when I was a kid. Okay, just <laughs> But the, the cow... You, I used to tell my students, if you got stuck in the middle of a blizzard in a barn full of hay, you might be warm, but you'll starve to death. The cow would be in heaven. Okay? How, how does it work? Why, how can cows digest cellulose? Well, what happens is they chew it and chew it and chew it and swallow it and regurgitate it, which just doesn't sound much fun, and chew it and chew it and chew it. And there's bacteria that have the ability that they have, that have the ability to slowly break it down, but they've got to chew it and chew it and chew it. After time, it releases the nutrients, it releases the energy into a form that they can use. That's the same picture. We need to get into this word and not just like learn it or read it once or Bible through, you know, in a year or something. We need to get into it and read it and journal it and med memorize it. So we will be like the man planted by streams of water. And as my leaf does not wither, even in a year of drought, I still have life. I'm still bearing fruit in its season. I'm still bearing fruit. Application number three, I'll devote myself to regular practice and what I'm calling deep dives into Scripture so that it will do its work of transforming me to be like Christ. 
I commit myself to this, to deep dives, to, to meditate, to plant myself, to let it change me. I've got a challenge for you that's like this one of these epic challenges. Could be overstating, but it's not. Who are you going to become? What is your destiny? And I'm going to tell you something very, I believe in the, with all my heart. Your destiny, my destiny will be determined by what I meditate on, whether it's Netflix or scripture, whether it's social media or scripture. What do I meditate on? That's who you're going to become. Jesus told a parable of two houses. I'm not going to tell the parable because it's probably familiar to you, to you. One house was built on a rock. The other was built on sand. One stood. The other did not. What's interesting is both houses hear the word. Both houses get the word. But one gets the word, and I'm going to suggest maybe meditates on it more deeply, and then does it. Young men, does the word. Follows it. And when they don't follow it, follows the word repenting of not following it does the word, and does the word, and does the word, and plants themselves. And that is the one that becomes like Christ. Last verse. What will happen when we do this? But we, with unveiled faces, will behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That we are being transformed into the same image from glory to to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. Let's pray.